Want to hear something weird? Paul Buckman eats his Snickers bar with a knife and fork. Isn't that weird? No, I've seen that. <laughs> but it's weird, isn't it? Isn't that that's weird? Does Mr. Pibb wait, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. The Dr. Pepper one. Does Mr. Pitt appear in this episode? What are you doing? He does not. But you'll find out what I'm doing later. Okay. On mad about mad about you. Yeah, strange. Little teaser. teaser. You said Paul Buckman. I said Paul Buckman. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't go connecting any dots prematurely, John. I don't even have. I I only have one dot. You have one dot. I can't even draw a line. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. No line segments, let alone lines coming from you. Oh wow. Yeah. You're right. I could draw a line. (laughs) How's Russ's third grade geometry doing? Uh, Very exceptional. Exceptional. (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mad About Mad About You. Your Mad About You recap podcast. I'm Russ Fayer. And I'm John Marbley. John, how's it going? It's fine. It's Great. fine. I'm trying a new drink. I haven't drank much water today. Okay. So I have some water. <laughs> That's the new drink? Yeah. Yeah, normally I have a LaCroix. That's okay. This episode so mean... is brought to you by water. What? But I have it yeah, in a glass gotta... pitcher. So I look like I'm testifying before Congress or something. John, we have if we're going to be trying to pimp companies into sponsoring us and products, we really should choose one that isn't free to everybody. It's not free to everyone, and that's a big issue, Russ. That you're right. Everybody go to water.org right now. Is that the right URL? I think so. Good for you. Yeah. They didn't pay us for that plug. Good for me for knowing it and never doing anything about I, it. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. We're passing the, here at Mad About Mad About You. We pass the responsibility on to you. Let's do it. Okay. Hey, everyone. Let's all go to water.org at the end of this episode and check it out. Great plan. Yes, please. And I then like this. from the buzz of the high that you get, try to do some good. Go to iTunes and leave a great review for Mad About <laughs> Mad About You, baby. <laughs> and say, here's what you do in the Mad About Mad About You review. You write, Found out about this place from water.org. <laughs> That's called synergy. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Podcast or a place. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. How I, are you? I'm well, as far as I'm concerned. I drink water regularly. It's nothing, not to brag or anything, but I've been familiar with water for a little while. Well, we're all very impressed. <laughs> we did the improvised Seder just a few nights ago. Ah, yes. Yes. I'm so and sorry was, I couldn't go. That is okay. Crowd was good. It was a really good time. It was fun. A lot of fun had by all. We're looking to make it a regular thing. All of a sudden, all of the Jews at the Magnet Theater, we were just like, You mean hey, more than once a year? This. Yeah. Not Seders, but just be like, hey, we're like, I've already booked a date around Russia. Oh, Rosh that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not enough Jews are capitalizing on their own holidays. Right. <laughs> I mean, the Christians are way ahead of you people. It's true. It's we that, start you know, in October. I was joking, but now it's just like, yeah, you're right. I, I am right. There's not enough of this. Yeah. You throw the food so, yeah. up two days before the holiday. That's it. <laughs> oh, so, it's yes. jelly ring season. Oh my gosh, jelly! My nephew and jelly rings. It's it's also it's very like he eats them constantly all year round, <laughs> and he'll also be like, he's very. 
he'll eat a million of them, but he'll also like he'll try to spread the gospel of jelly rings. Where he'll be, like, he'll come up to me and just be like, "Uncle Russ, you want a jelly ring?" I'm like, "I'm good, thank you very much." Though. Have you heard the good news? These jelly rings <laughs> are delicious. <laughs> I'm a oh, huge I, jelly ring fan. I have to tell this story. I'm pre- I'm 99 sure it was about jelly rings, but since Passover is right around the corner, years ago, my grandmother, bless her heart. She came to the Seder and she had a box of jelly rings. And let's say the box was red. Let's just say and that. Okay. Let's just say that. Let's let's assume. <laughs> Let your mind wander. Red box of jelly rings. Not purple. Not purple. Well, on that red box is a small snippet of blue that has been cut out of another box. And the word kosher with the kosher label is on it. It is not symmetrically cut out. Oh, and this is taped gosh. to the box. And my grandmother gives it to me and she says, put this out. I put kosher on it because your father won't serve it unless it's kosher. And it's just like, first of all, grandma, it's jelly rings. These are kosher, period. 100%. Here's where it actually appears oh, the on gelatin? the box. Because she just thought. She didn't see it. She didn't realize. No, I'm saying, why aren't they kosher to begin with? They are kosher. Oh, they are kosher. That was B. Yeah, these things are kosher. No one's making non-kosher jelly rings. Exactly. No one's like, oh, I'm going to really capture that Gentile jelly ring market. (laughs) So, yeah. But then to be like, I'm going to... fish has pork in it. (laughs) To be like, I'm going to trick my son-in-law. He'll never know. It looks the same. Words are blue. Box is pink. Tape is clearly visible. That is so She's a kosher. funny. Isn't that the best? Oh, uh, what a crooked grandma. Oh, she was wonderful. This is the grandma who stole the silverware. Oh, I forgot that story. <laughs> it's a good idea. Yeah. I'll have to revisit stole the silver- episode. Stole silverware from diners. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I should put it that way. It wasn't a heist. She didn't go to a store and, and steal Yeah, she just went to a, a different kind of business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So we watched Mad About You again. I'm glad we did. This two-week thing's tough for me to get used to. Me too. It's weird, right? It's weird because it feels like a really long time, and then all of a sudden it feels really fast again. Yes. Yes. I agree. It's fun to it's fun to get to kick the rust off every time we do this. Yeah, yeah, right. It's fun <laughs> to forget how to do something and then re-remember it. <laughs> it's good though. It's healthy it right is, now. For sure, yes. I completely agree. So this is episode 49 of Mad About Mad About You. And we are covering season three, episode three of Mad About You, an episode called Till Death Do Us Part, which is known to me from its appearance in Marriage Vows. How about you, John? Where do you know? Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I remember going to a wedding and hearing them say this. (laughs) I'm convinced that that's the truth from you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I learned about this reference. (laughs) Quick, pop quiz. What's the name of the bride and the groom? Bride and groom. (laughs) Wait, what are you talking about? Their names. If this is a real bride and groom and oh, a real wedding story? where you really heard this, yes, in the, I don't in the story, know. Yes, I think you'd know. No, look, a person, a person would never forget where they heard "Till Death Do Us Part" at a wedding. They'd never forget. The I name probably of the bride learned and groom. it from Father of the Bride, to be honest. But also, okay. 
you know, I remember going to at least one wedding as a kid, and I didn't care who was getting married. I knew it was some cousin or something. Sure. Some, like, second cousin. You were just thinking, hey, open bar. I, I was. I was at that. I was put throwing Shirley Temple's back like Dean Martin's kid. <laughs> I really was. She'd see me coming. She'd start making it. That's so funny. I remember going to a party, a bar mitzvah, I think, and just being like, this was the height of this drink. And I was just like, make it another Crystal Pepsi. Like... <laughs> <laughs> thanks toots yeah i had like nine crystal pepsis at these things i mean soda pops a treat sure yeah yeah baby any what are we doing <laughs> talking about soda why John, we're doing what we always do we talk about soda every week i know but it feels different hey look this was indicated in the cold open of the episode when you thought that the dude's name was mr pib <laughs> yeah I've forgotten all my TV. So there you go. Speaking of TV, you want to hear the description? Yes, please. This is from the TV Guide. Okay. <laughs> That's a new book. Yeah, we're acting like all the, all the parts of the show are brand new. Yeah. We don't remember this week for something different. We're going to be talking about the television of the week and the news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jamie wants to scatter her uncle's ashes in a winner's circle, but doing so depends on a long shot. It's a little, okay. it's a little like, it's a thinker. It is. I also like the use of a winner's circle. Well, yeah. But as I'm opposed to like, the. As opposed to the winner's circle and or just like, look, I guess that's the most concise way of saying it. But I'm like, I feel like track should be in there somewhere. No, that's the, the thinker part. It's the track. It's yeah. implicit. Sure. You have it's, to say. Wait, it's him. It's implicit or is it implied? Implicit seems to me to be it doesn't that mean like the the track is in on it. No, that's complicit. <laughs> You're right. Implicit is implied. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Just so not everyone knows I was not complicit in that question. No, no, you were not. No, but it is. It's like, you've got to be like, wait, a winner's circle, winner's circle. Oh, this is set at the track. Right. And it's even more, we get to determine that even more fully by, I can't think of this sentence, John. Help me. <laughs> I have no words right now. You say this we need to determine that more fully? We need to determine that more fully. <laughs> what I think I was trying to say was we get tipped off of that a little bit more. <laughs> Two, we get tipped off to that. (laughs) What's the last word of the long shot, right? (laughs) The last two words? (laughs) They say long shot. Yes, they do. So, yes, use of long shot and winner circle. Use of long shots. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a stunning use of long shot, I must say. (laughs) I got to get my hands on some of that water you speak so highly of. Yeah, so listen, I um for whatever reason I'm taking it easy on them this week. <laughs> yeah, you are. You know. Good. I'm okay with that. They've earned a breather. It's vague enough that it works for this episode. Yeah. It's a weird sure. episode. It is a weird episode. I mean, a very little of it takes place at the track, unfortunately. I'm not sure that I agree. In, with the unfortunately part, I'm assuming. Well, no, I mean, like, I think the track is half the episode. No, I think it's the last five minutes, pal. You don't okay. know, squat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a clue about how many minutes things are. Oh, wow. Clearly. Okay, they get to the track. Yeah. 
at twelve fifty. So you're right, a little a little less yeah. than half. Okay, I stay corrected. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh, this feels so good. You're back. Uh, <laughs> I'm back, baby. Speaking of which, I'm, mm-hmm. what was on TV that night? You're watching NBC. Well, sir, as we continue on our recap of must-see TV, we've already covered Mad About You. Last week we did Friends, or last show, rather. So we are up to the 9 o'clock hour on NBC. So it's finally time. 49 episodes. We've done this most of the episodes of Mad About Mad About You. Oh, that's the one that aired? Let's dive in. That's the Seinfeld? Seinfeld. Yep. The one where Mr. Pitt eats the Snickers? The episode title is The Pledge Drive. Oh, wonderful. Season six, episode three of Seinfeld. And yes, the plot is Elaine's boss, Mr. Pitt, eats a Snickers bar with a knife and fork, starting a trend that seems to sweep the city. That's one of the things that happens. That's, yeah, that's it. Well, it's hard to summarize the Seinfeld episode, too. There are a lot of threads. Especially as the seasons progress. Like, you got to think this poor TV guide guy, he's like, oh, by season three, he's like, okay, I think I got the hang of this. Yeah. And then they just keep getting more and more complicated. And he's like, Larry, David, what are you doing to me? Yeah. You're making <laughs> me look like an idiot. Yeah. All of a sudden he's just saying, the gang have adventures. <laughs> they don't learn and they don't hug. Yeah. <laughs> In this episode, Kramer enters a room. <laughs> I, wow. I haven't seen this episode in a while. Jerry and Elaine deal with a couple, Dan and Noreen, who sound similar on the phone. This is the high talker. Oh, the high, of course, because they show up, the high talker, Dan shows up to PBS. Yes. Oh, and they get, oh, there's so many plots. Mm Because also Kramer becomes a pledge drive caller, or call person, and he gets a call from Jerry, oh, Jerry's grandma goes missing. Jerry's grandmother, yes. And Jerry cashes all those checks that she had sent him in previous years. Yes, that's a funny bit. Yeah. That's a real fun bit. What bit? That's like a whole plot. Yeah, a fun bit of it. Yes, you're right. I wouldn't call it a bit of business. <laughs> you say that about like someone drops a cup and you're like, oh, that's a fun bit of business. <laughs> this is like a third of an episode. Yeah, you know, that fun. You know how uh, the first act. Yeah, it's of a fun bit of rent, business. Fun bit of business. <laughs> oh, and this is the one where Elaine. Picks up the phone and it's Jerry's grandma, but she thinks it's the high talker. Yeah, the high talker, and she screams at him. And she tells him to drop dead. Yeah. That's right. Why don't you just <laughs> drop, drop dead? Dead. You tell my nana to drop dead? <laughs> Today is also opening day of baseball, this day in 2018. And that is pertinent because Danny Tartable <gasps> is That's in this episode. Right. George is trying to get Danny Tartable to the pledge drive, and they're getting yep. gas. And George gets flicked off by a driver and becomes obsessed mm-hmm. with stalking him, mm-hmm. only to discover that the man has a cast on his middle finger. There you go. Oh, it all came back. That? And there's something it about donuts. There's something back. about donuts, too. I'm sure there is. Because so, yeah, Danny Tartable oh. eats his donuts with the knife and fork, maybe? Yes, that's right. He does. Or something like that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, the day after this episode aired, Ian Abercrombie, who played Mr. Pitt, uh, was having lunch in a restaurant, and while he was waiting for his coffee, the waiter put a plate with a Snickers bar on his table. Oh, yeah. Isn't that fun? I looked up in Vanity Fair, or I found on the internet, that a few years ago, Vanity Fair ranked all of the Seinfeld episodes. I can't. Sure. Okay. Oh, good for (laughs) them. Wow. 
What a noble exercise in stupidity. You're right. It's a dumb thing to do. Do you mind if I get back to talking about one television show from 25 years ago as we talk about another episode? Russ, there's no virtue to a competitive list. (laughs) There's no virtue in it. Why are you stacking the episodes against each other? They're different. I hate the lists. Vulture does it too. And they're always written by people who don't love Seinfeld. What are your top 10 least favorite things about lists? The order implies importance, even though it's not necessarily there. Great. Number 10. Number nine. (laughs) See, that bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're waiting? Yeah. Yes. We have to get 10 of these. Otherwise, my joke doesn't work. (laughs) I don't have 10. That's another thing I don't like about lists. (laughs) You are very silly. But yeah. For what it's worth, which to you is nothing, this was ranked number 101. Yeah, great. Wow. That, what meaning? It was right behind the Chinese restaurant. This is why I hate the lists. Why? Because they're written by idiots who don't understand that that's the number one episode of Seinfeld. (laughs) Do you know what they did rank as number one? The pilot? Nope. Oh, the contest? Yeah. Oh, wow. Trope alert. Don't say trope alert. You guessed wrong first. That's because I guessed... You're right. (laughs) That's because I forgot the trope. Everyone everyone says that's their favorite episode in the media. TV guide. You think the lamestream media has the same same favorite Seinfeld episode? Uh, They do. They do. It's a conspiracy. (laughs) What's your favorite? I think you've done this The Chinese restaurant. Right. Hands down. It's a great one, Russ. Yeah. What's your favorite? I'm afraid to ask. I think it's the Serenity now. Ugh. <laughs> why are you why why are you sighing at me? They're all different. No, I agree with you. You should say that is also a good one. That oh. is just as good of a one as the Chinese restaurant. Everything is the same. Numbers have no meaning. Art is all open to interpretation and there's place for everything. But there's personal taste, and I just don't connect with the Serenity Now in the same way that you do. Which right. is why a list of episodes is stupid. <laughs> you know what I think is stupid? Hmm. This segment. Why don't we talk about the news instead? <laughs> oh, you're going to be disappointed. I only found two stories. <laughs> From WNBC TV, this is News 4 New York with Chuck Scarborough and Pat Harper. Dateline. Go ahead. Poker on the train home? Maybe, but no pile of cash. By Raymond Hernandez. For years, Alvin Goldstein and his buddies have passed the time during the daily commuting home with a friendly game of poker aboard the 535 out of Grand Central to Irvington. Then the police broke up the game. People were in shock, said Mr. Goldstein, a 65-year-old lawyer from Hastings-on-Hudson, who was arrested on Friday along with three of his companions. This is terrible. The best thing that Marjorie Anders, a spokeswoman for Metro North, could do was speculate that the arresting officer, Rebecca Reyes, had been struck by a pile of money, $141 worth, in front of the men, which is a pretty fat stack of cash for one pot in a casual yeah. game on a train. <laughs> on a train? <laughs> in yeah. 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Would you leave $141 sitting on the table? That's not a small amount of money for a train game. <laughs> Quote, it was kind of an impressive pile of greenbacks, Miss Anders said. Ugh. Boy, if there was a coffee table, not a coffee, an anthology Mm -hmm. of colloquial phrases used by New Yorkers in 90s quotes. Greenbacks? (laughs) Oh, baby. (laughs) But by late today, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office had decided not to file any charges against the men. Sure. 
and Metro North officials were trying to reassure people that the arrest did not signal a crackdown on a form of recreation enjoyed on thousands by thousands of their riders. Well, then what? I love what? the idea that everyone's too afraid to play cards now. That's so. <laughs> And rightly so. I know, because they heard, hey, did you hear Alpha got arrested? Put those away. Are you crazy? (laughs) But they also, say what you said again. They said, this doesn't mean that you should stop. Is that what they said? We're not doing a crackdown on games. Yeah, it said we have no prohibitions against friendly card games. Okay. I suppose it was the gambling. Yeah, of course it was the gambling. Yeah. But still, you know. That's what the card game is. (laughs) The card game is arguably, the cards are smoke over the gambling fire. Sure. If you will. You don't I have to. I will, but... No, I will, but only because I don't want to fight you on it. But just know that that doesn't work. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you. <laughs> the arrests were made on Friday evening on the Hudson Line, which shuttles riders to and from many affluent Westchester County communities. The four men had just settled into a game of cards when Officer Reyes, who was in plain clothes, boarded the train to look for illegal smokers. This is Giuliani, I'm guessing, cracking down on tiny things, right? I'm sure you're right. Broken windows. Flashing their badge. Also, they're just sitting down? (laughs) No. They just, no, they had just started playing. She just boarded. No, they just started playing, and the pot is $141 already? What was the buy-in? My gosh. High rollers. Well, they're lawyers who live in Westchester. What's this cutthroat? Yeah, why are they taking a train? Get a helicopter. Yeah, (laughs) this high-stakes game of train poker. (laughs) Flashing her badge, Officer Ray has asked them to put down their cards and step off the train. Handcuffed, the men were led out off the platforms and through Grand Central. They perp-walked They perp-walked them so far, though, too. From inside a train all the way up (laughs) off the platform, up into the main terminal and through Grand Central. I love these four poker playing these lawyers, four with, like, old lawyers. <laughs> with coats over their heads yeah. so that they don't get photos taken. Well, it says many people on the train knew us, Mr. Goldstein said. And one passenger peered through the window and gestured to ask me if I wanted her to phone my wife. I'm guessing with the traditional pinky thumb, <laughs> right? And mouthing wife through the window, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I thought you meant that's how you thought that she was actually going to call her wife. <laughs> Well, no, that's you know, another great point. Hey, do you want me to call your wife on my hand? Well, no, that's I'll what stay. it is, though. I guess it's like, hey, do you want me to call your wife an hour and 15 minutes from now when I get off the train and get to a phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look, that's sooner than he'll be able to call because he's going to jail. Yeah, they were put in holding cells, fingerprinted, and photographed. Then they were released with enough time to catch the 720 home. Do you believe wow. that? It says he's gathered on the train to play poker with a group of commuters every day for the last 28 years. You know how much money that is for these people? For these people? Yeah. yeah. They pro- they may not do all that well at their jobs lawyering. They've made all their money through train poker. Listen, what are there, 200 work days in a, week, a year or something? I don't know. I'm doing some fast math, right? Okay. Oh, 250 because there's about 50 weeks, right? 250 sure. weeks, okay? 28 years. Let's say it's $140, even though we know it's more. That's almost a million dollars changing hands <laughs> from this guy's casual train poker game. <laughs> maybe he should, maybe he does belong in jail. <laughs> this is why we figured you've done, you did a good job, cops. <laughs> Uh, Dateline. Go ahead. The King of Pushcarts by Constance L. Hayes. 
Among the hot dog industry types who dropped by Dan Rossi's office the other day was Mohammed El Sayed. Mr. El Sayed, for those who weren't paying attention over the summer, is the Egyptian-born hot dog seller who gained brief fame by staging a fast, a fast to protest the city's ticketing and towing of his cart at 50th Street and Avenue of the Americas. After three days of fasting, he collapsed. And though he's back out there now, he keeps a $65 money order in his wallet just in case. Just in case what? It gets I've towed again. Something. Okay. I thought it was just like, look, if I if I if pass, I pass out, out again, again. Yeah. here's $65 in my wallet. <laughs> That'll be good for something. <laughs> Mr. Rossi feels bad for El Sayed. Mr. El Sayed, he really does. But from where he sits, a tiny, airy, warm as a roasted chestnut above an old stable in Hell's Kitchen. This is much bigger than Mr. El Sayed. It's an entire business we're talking about here. And as Mr. Rossi sees it, that business is deeply in danger of going the way of the pushcart. This article Golly. is about the guy. It's about the guy who builds the hot dog carts. That's fun. He owns five, 499 pushcart permits. He's a one-man hot dog cart cartel. The uncrowned <laughs> king of an industry that is a prime target of the Giuliani administration's quality of life campaign. There you go. Because we read about these vendors earlier and how the city cannot crack down on them. And there's absolutely, they have no power over any of these vendors. Yeah, but not if Rudy has anything to say about it. <laughs> Try convincing. This is blah, 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 blah. This is like the dude from that episode of Mad About You. Yes. It, oh my gosh, you're right. It is. Yeah. Try convincing Mr. Rossi, a 44-year-old former Marine who once machine-gunned the enemy from helicopters over Vietnam. Mr. Rossi certainly considers himself at war again. <laughs> Lawyer in hand. Oh. <laughs> yes. Wait, did he say that? No. Or... <laughs> you think Mr. Rossi saw this and he was like, go to hell. The, he was just like, oh, yeah, you know, when I try to get these carts ready, it's a lot like when I was shooting people out of a helicopter in <laughs> Vietnam. They're the same to me. <laughs> Lawyer in hand, he has day trip to Albany to confront legislators about perceived hot dog-related inequities. He's given local business leaders and even the mayor an earful on local radio call-in shows. I would kill to hear some of those from the hot dog king. <laughs> That's so ridiculous, he says, of the mayor's plan to break up the 52 corporations that own push cart permits. I don't know where his logic's coming from. How can anyone be in a monopoly with 52 companies out there? Yada, yada, yada. So it's called Precision Carts Incorporated. Okay. And he's a metal worker. His business is strictly carts, not food. Good. Yeah. You want food? Go to another guy. <laughs> we just ship it. Oh, so this is... Okay. So this is how we got in the business. A colleague in Nyack, New York, in a sheet metal factory where he was working, had a heart attack one day and decided to seek a quieter life. And he asked Mr. Rossi to build him a hot dog cart. Okay. Does that seem yeah. like a low stress business? Or it's hot like, ah, I got to take it easy. I'm going to sell meat on the corner of one of the busiest intersections in Manhattan <laughs> <laughs> for a dollar a hot dog. That sounds relaxing. And then schlep a cart six avenues to return it every day. Well, you think about the other jobs that you can have in New York. Oh, yeah, it's not that bad. I, well, listen you know to this, though. I mean? It says, then he started feeling better after his heart attack, and I didn't know what to do with the cart. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy abandoned it immediately. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. This article is not as interesting as I thought. So the New York Times changed its search page, and mm -hmm. I can't access old articles the way it used to. Oh, no. Which stressed me out because I didn't know this until today, right before we recorded. Oh, gosh. So I had to find these a different way. 
Well, you know. So you just you 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 use the greatest hits through Google. You're just like New York Times, 1994 hot dogs. Well, no, they have they have a New great <laughs> they have a great feature called the Times Machine that's available to subscribers, where you can literally look through the paper going all the way back to the 1800s. You just pick a day and you can flip through it and read the articles. That's amazing. So I flipped through all seven papers from the week. And I don't know if it was hiding the fun articles or if there just weren't any fun articles this week (laughs) or if it wasn't showing me everything. You know what I mean? Sure. That's okay. So that's the news. I love it. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to leave the apology to the end. No need to apologize. Never apologize for your work, Well, it's John. like that old Jackie Mason thing. He's like, I like to do the impression first. <laughs> then I'll tell you what it is. That's funny. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Who wrote this? Who directed this? Well, it was directed by David Steinberg, who has done a lot of these back-to-back. Yes. He's the new Barnett Kelman. Jewish Steve Martin. Bingo, bango. Mr. David Steinberg. And it was written by Danny Jacobson. DJ. DJ DS. <laughs> DJ DS. DJ D yes. D, hi, my name is my name is DJ David Steinberg, aka DJ Jewish Steve Martin. <laughs> I spin bluegrass records. That's what. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Did. No, I got you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I got you. John gave me a confused look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I got it. Everyone get it. Everyone get it. Great. So cold open for this episode. Paul is looking out the window because it is raining. There's a thunderstorm. And Murray adorably hops up on the couch to cower. He does not like the storm. And Paul tries to console him by saying, hey, uh, relax. Thunder is just clouds bumping into each other. Yes. That's such a cute little... Do you think that's how Danny Jacobson learned it? It definitely could be. I similarly thought about this episode, something that I never think about the show, where I'm just like, I attribute a lot of autobiography to Danny Jacobson episodes, I think, where I'm just like... Yeah, I I do too. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because he's a co-creator. That's definitely why. Yeah, but I'm just... Because I'm like, he must... That feels real. He must have actually... He must actually have been told... There's no way that he could create that. No, it's definitely because he's a co-creator. Yeah. (laughs) But you're right. Anyone in the writer's room could have said clouds bumping into each other. Even he could have just said that. Yeah. But we're just like, no, it probably came from a real place in his real life. Oh, I see. Yes. I don't know why we do that. Yeah, it's weird. That is a thing we do. Yeah. Jamie responds to Paul commenting about thunder being clouds bumping into each other by saying, thunder is when a large volume of moist air expands and cools as it rises. And Jamie says, Paul asks where she learned that. Jamie says, Yale. Jamie asks where Paul learned his thing. He says his parents. And then asks, why would they lie to me about thunder? This is very silly and fun. Agreed. Good. You didn't seem like you agreed. No, I agree. (laughs) What do you think of this episode, John? Let's get it out of the way. I think it's fine. Yeah, this is a fine one. It's a little weird because it's just a lot of short scenes. And it also feels like a lot of setup. The first half is just setup, basically. And the second yes. half is a very light farce. Yes. It's not even far, a it's, little. It, it's like guys are, and dolls, too. There are a lot of short scenes in which nothing happens but talking and not a lot of jokes. And then there's also one very long scene in the middle, which is interesting, I guess, cinematically. Oh, yeah, that scene is really long. It's really long and nothing happened. Yeah, nothing happened. Yeah, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. So... 
First scene of the episode proper, we're in the apartment. Paul and Jamie are dressed in black, and Jamie is putting on pantyhose. Oh, Mrs. Buckman, you're trying to seduce me. I want to find the guy who invented pantyhose and beat an apology out of him. You know what? My guess is he's not a very tough guy. Do I look okay? You look really sexy. We're going to a funeral. I don't want to look sexy. No, I'm saying sexy, but like in a sad way. That is a very good impression. It's pretty good. Paul does his best Dustin Hoffman. And it's like a young Dustin Hoffman. It's so specific. Yeah. yeah. Did you know it was coming before he said it? I had the wrong... I didn't have the right reference in my head. But immediately oh, yeah. I was like, wait, this is from something, this shot. Yeah. I thought it was like a noir film. Right. And Because we... Yeah, the episode opens with Jamie putting on pantyhose. Yeah, her leg so her, is on the table. Yeah. And it's in the foreground. And in the background, we see Paul enter from another room doing his tie. Right. So the, 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 the leg is the main part of the frame. Yes. It's the famous shot from The Graduate. It's like it's the also poster. the cover of The yeah, Graduate. The cover. Yes, the poster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul busts out his Dustin Hoffman impression. That's a weird movie. Um, uh, yeah, it kind of is. There's so many movies that are classics that nobody told us were weird. And I didn't see that till I was like 30. Same with like, what's the one with the John Voight where he's a gigolo? Lonesome Cowboy? Uh, Urban Cowboy? No, I get all Urban the cowboy, cowboy movies mixed up. Or Midnight, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight, Midnight Cowboy. cowboy. Like, that's another yeah. one where well, it's, like, Also famous. Dustin Hoffman. And also Dustin Hoffman. And then you watch it, and you're like, how come nobody told me this was so weird? Or Rosemary's yeah. Baby. Have you seen that one? I did not one? know that... Not Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Chinatown, I mean, with Jack Nicholson. No, I have not seen that one. I I am familiar that that is a weird movie, though. I yeah. didn't know that either. I always heard it was about yeah. the water in Los Angeles. And it was a little mystery. And then it takes this crazy turn in the middle, and you're like, wait, what? I believe it, yeah. All these movies are weird, guys. <laughs> the Graduate was always a watershed movie in my house with my parents where really they were like, yeah, but it was like watershed may be the wrong word. They would often say just like when you're older, you'll watch The Graduate. Like <laughs> oh, I'd be a kid. A I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be 13. No, not even as a family. Just like, oh, Russell, The Graduate's a great movie. You're too young for it now. But when you're older, when you're mature enough... Are you sure this wasn't just a graduate. euphemism they were using to try to explain the birds and bees to you? <laughs> so <laughs> The Graduate is a movie that plays when two people care very much about each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... And they sit in a dark room for about <laughs> an hour yeah. and a half. <laughs> they said that to me. They, they pitched The Graduate like that to me for years. And then one day in 1999, the three of us went and saw American Beauty together. Think, well, I don't know if that's better. In my head, I was like, please don't say American Pie. But then no. you said American Beauty, which is a little better, I guess, in terms of watching with your and, parents. Well, but. I don't know, man. Because <laughs> uh, what happens in the middle of it is that Annette Benning and Peter Gallagher. <gasps> oh, that's right. Do it. Get together. They sure do. Loudly. They watch The Graduates <laughs> at full volume. <laughs> yeah, they do. So I turn to my parents as this is happening, as she is saying, F me, your majesty. And I turn to my folks and I say, so do you guys think I can watch The Graduate? <laughs> or uh... That's very funny, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> Then you took a swig of your martini. 
Yeah. <laughs> I sure did. It said, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Oh, man. I saw the English patient with my parents. That's what this scene brings up in me. <laughs> oh, did you? Sure That's did. funny. Parents that wouldn't let me watch any rated R movies until I was 18. I have never seen The English Patient. Eh, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. I was in sixth grade. I don't know. To me, it's mostly just that element of the Seinfeld episode. Right. Yeah. Where Elaine does not like The English Patient. So. Oh, so they're getting dressed for Jamie's Uncle Van's funeral. Yes, they are. They're dressed in black. We've seen and this Jamie before. Jamie is going to be. Yes. For weddings. Jamie is, uh, uh, we never, we never, by the way find out we know it's uncle van we never know whose brother van is oh i got a question about that coming up dad i would argue neither russ because neither one of them was at the funeral (laughs) yeah there's that too (laughs) the estranged brother van this thing makes no sense it doesn't it feels like a a different show actually for the first half frustrating episode oh very uh oh he's turning no i like it's just i yeah i might be turning it was just weird i'm just like Tell us. We don't care about Uncle Van. We've never seen him. We've never heard of him. You have no details. You're giving no details about him. Anyway. Agreed. It is out of the blue. This relative that she's so close to. Yeah. But also, like, not that close to. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she's not devastated. Not close enough that we've seen him in three seasons, in two seasons and change. Yeah, we've never seen him, and he he just died. We've never heard about him. She's chill. Yeah, it's... Like, she, she hasn't cried. I don't think she cried over right. Uncle Van. Right. So, Paul says, because Jamie is freaking out because she's going to give a eulogy, and she's very nervous, and Paul says, the trick is you got to know what you're going to say. This is terrible advice. Or at least it's not... I don't maybe think it so. It's not terrible advice. It's just, it's so obvious. Sometimes oh, the really? obvious sh- advice is the best. Uh, you know, fine. Okay. I'll allow that. And lack of preparation often leads to anxiety. Look, John, we very infrequently know what we're going to say on this podcast, and look at how great it always goes. Bingo. (laughs) Jamie is also very frustrated by these pantyhose that we have seen her having put on already. As she's crossing the screen, she has a little mini meltdown and rips them off her legs. What you might call a nice bit of business. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it was too short for a nice bit of business. (laughs) Maybe if they'd stretched it out for 16, 17 minutes of this episode, <laughs> then we could call it a nice bit of business. <laughs> so we learned that Uncle Van loved Paul. Yeah, he was a mischief maker. Yes, Paul had a lot of good memories of Van. And the story is he got those golf balls. He said, oh, Uncle Van and me, how do you think those golf balls got in your mother's turkey? Yes. Do you know what that means? My guess is that at a Thanksgiving or at a another turkey-based meal... Yeah, so far I'm with you. Yeah. There's the cavity I of the turkey. I got that far. <laughs> yeah. There's the cavity of the turkey. Agreed. Yeah, and they were probably either... Do you think they were chipping them into the turkey? They may have been chipping them. They may have been rolling them. They may have been throwing them. They may have just said, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we stuffed nine golf balls into this turkey and just slam dunked them home? So you don't know either. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is still a fictional show. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe in Long Island there was some <laughs> golf ball turkey thing. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it might be. You know? <laughs> oh, you never heard about about, <laughs> about golf ball stuffing? <laughs> yeah. One year, Mickle McEnroe 
when they ate PGAs and uh, everyone on Long Island stuffed their turkeys with golf balls. It's the most believable I thing that. I've ever said. <laughs> so Lisa arrives at the apartment to go with them. And whereas Paul and Jamie are wearing black, Lisa is wearing head-to-toe red plaid. Yeah, she looks like she should be playing a bagpipe. Yes, she looks ridiculous. She asks Paul and Jamie, what are you two wearing? Yeah. And then she declares, he loved plaid. Right. Which Jamie concedes. So they leave, and they go to the funeral well, wait. home. And there we get wait, wait, Jamie's... Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Before they leave, yeah. Paul talks to Murray about Uncle Van. Yes, true. And says, Uncle Van used to something a tennis ball till you couldn't stand up. Do you know what he said? I don't recall the word, but I know the implication was Uncle Van threw tennis balls to Murray. There's something about Uncle Van and balls. Yeah, it's what I just said. He threw them. <laughs> yeah, so I guess he probably threw them into the turkey. <laughs> I'm saying there's two ball references about Uncle Van already. Yeah. And he liked plaid. He was probably a golfer. and t- He probably played a lot of like white-collar sports. Probably. He may have, yeah. It sounds like it. He probably played golf, sure. He the dressed golf like is it. Very, he had golf, golf balls very... in the turkey. Mm-hmm. And he plays tennis. Yeah, I'll allow it. I'll give you all of these things. So from there, we go to the funeral home, and we get Jamie's eulogy. I guess what I'm trying to say is I really love Uncle Van. And I know Uncle Van really loves me. He really does. And I really do, too. I guess the reason I love him so much is because I know how much he loves me. How much we love him. All of us. But especially me. I really love Uncle Van. A lot. And I know he really loves okay, me. Okay, okay. I think, I think you covered that. Would you please tell the truth? Um, I think we all know that Jamie had a, a fondness for Uncle Van. And uh, as she suggests in her little story, he had a fondness for her as well. Okay. This made me so uncomfortable. It's not good. I didn't even get what was going on, though. She didn't just know really, what to say. Right, and she was just spiraling. And she didn't have anything to say. And It yeah. was awful. Because she had said prior, all I want to say is that I love Uncle Van and he loved me. And that's literally all she had to say. Yeah, but the episode is also filled with her saying other things about him. Yes, well, this is, you know, panic set in. No, I hear you. Yeah. And we get a great shot as she gives the eulogy of the rest of the people at the funeral home. Oh, yeah. They're all wearing plaid. They are all wearing different kinds of plaid. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the bigger laughs in the episode. That's uh, one of the me. broader moments. Yeah, for sure. And the room is full of people who we have never met. Everybody's yeah. very old. Her side of the family don't know any of these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, like we said before, her parents are not there. Parents are not there. Not at all. Which is very strange. It's true. I, I wonder if they... Did they have something they couldn't get out of town? They couldn't leave Connecticut in order to get there? To their brother's funeral? Sure. It also could be... I'm like, I also wonder if it was their aunt. So Jamie and Lisa's great aunt. Or great uncle, rather. Don't you go? It's a funeral. Yeah, you go. You go. You, just, you go. But, I mean, look, if 
if you can't get out of it, lots of times there's like a uh, Jamie and Paul are going on behalf of our entire side of the family. Okay, uh, that's very entire... generous. I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> I got beef with the Stemples. <laughs> You're on notice, Stemples. <laughs> so yeah, Paul in his little mini eulogy says, Paul does a little bit of a, a tight five. He's got shtick. Basically, yeah, he had a warm heart and a sweet soul. It was like he was from another family. Yeah, I often said he was the only one in her family I could have a conversation with. Yeah, two two stinkos in a row. <laughs> and he walks away, leaving Jamie to reiterate, "I loved Uncle Van." <laughs> so then we cut back to the apartment where they are arriving back after the funeral, and Paul decided to take the pate. More pate for these, these people two. have they so much pate in their pate. house. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. And also pate at a post funeral. I don't know. Gathering. I don't know what you eat at a wake. Everyone's different. I think pate is up there. Pate is some good stuff. Oh well, yeah, but Uncle Van could have been rich. He could have been. I mean, look, there's ways to justify it. I mean, you worked seems- your ass off to justify the stubble not being there, so. <laughs> this is a smaller leap than that I guess that's true I was hoping that this episode Was going to involve everyone coming back To the apartment Oh that would be good Yeah but it didn't Didn't We got this other thing instead <laughs> Lisa's got a great bit here Because now it's time to figure out Yeah Paul brought back the pate Jamie brought back Uncle Van Yeah the urn she gets him and it also seems like she didn't know she was going to get him until she was there it's a weird relationship yes her family's weird yes she wants to make sure that he goes someplace that he would have liked i assume he was single i guess he's very single since but also his funeral was well attended yep like it was packed yeah that's true the guy's a mystery (laughs) yeah It's almost like he's completely underdeveloped and just written for this one episode to kill him off. (laughs) Almost. Almost like that. So the question becomes, what do we do with his remains? And Lisa says that they should bring the remains to South Dakota. And why? Because he used to have a DeSoto, a DeSoto automobile. Yeah, did you like this? I did like this. Because she's associating South Dakota and DeSoto because they sound similar. Yes. And Paul calls it out. Yes. I I liked it a little too because that is a real phenomenon that happens. (laughs) It's it's so weird. It is so weird. I agree. It's such a weird like that's such a weird funny joke. (laughs) Yes. Well, I was gonna say that's a weird funny joke to write. It is. Just have that. I'm trying to picture just like you're writing. You're coming up with jokes and suddenly you're just like that's one that pops into your head and you don't know why. You're just like why do you why where like. They're sketching things out, and they're just like, okay, so what do we know about this guy? All right, he drove a DeSoto, somebody says. And then somebody just starts laughing. Because they're like, okay, guys, I've got something really stupid. (laughs) But then they execute it with, like, five lines. Like, it takes a while to explain this. Right. Like, this is a long joke. It is. I like like it. it. I'm on board for this joke. I am, too. It's very strange. From that joke? Do we put the clip in or no? We do not have the clip. We can put the clip in. No, I don't care. I just want to make sure I kept track. No. If you want to hear the clip, go buy the DVDs. (laughs) No free rides. No free lunch. They then once again talk about what happens after you die. 
Ah, classic sitcom. It reminded me of the Manya episode of Seinfeld. It reminded me of the other episodes of this show where they talk about what happens after you die. Wait, really? I'm sure they've done this before. I don't think they have. Did this not feel familiar to you? Yeah, because it happens on sitcoms. Not because it happened on this sitcom. I thought it happened on this sitcom. But you don't even know which episode or when it happened or what happened. No, I I can't. We're too far in. All I know is that I could think. That's a very thin case. (laughs) I think you're thinking of other TV shows because this is a trope. It is definitely a trope. It's a trope to ask human questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now we get the tried and true blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what happens when you die conversation. <laughs> but yeah, Paul thinks when you're dead, you're dead. Everything stops. And Jamie thinks that that's naive of him. Also, she because she's like, oh, I bet he's playing golf somewhere. Right. And Paul shuts it down so hard and fast. So hard. That it's, yeah. Like it'll make your head spin. Almost in a mean way. Yeah, like he will not let her have it at all. Yeah. Well, I don't know, babe, because uh, an uh, important part of playing golf is having legs, and uh, he don't got them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. In real life, that's so mean. It's just like, dude. Yeah, that's awful. You could just say, maybe, you and just think whatever you want to think. Funeral. <laughs> oh, Paul. So later that day, Jamie is making Salisbury steaks. Oh. You want to hear something really weird, John? Yeah, you had that for dinner tonight. I had it for lunch today in the office. They were serving it. That is super weird. I I watched this episode last night. I rewatched it this morning. I went to the office. The last Salisbury steak I had. Let me ask you this. Yeah. The last Salisbury steak I had. What are you, a Philip Roth book or something? (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you this. Yeah. Do they serve Salisbury steak a lot? Um, Once a month. Yeah. I guess it's weird that it lined up with this episode. You're right. It's weird. It's Yeah. they don't. It's not an everyday thing. But yeah. I've eaten where you where you eat not, lunch. Yeah. And it feels a little old-fashioned. Like, it feels what, like sort place? of a classic menu, I would imagine. Or is that not true? Like, what classic American. About? Do you mean the cafeteria at which I have lunch has classic American fare? It has that vibe. No, they, I mean, they've got a lot of... They've got a sandwich counter they've got a salad bar they've got the place where i <laughs> everything got you're saying the, sounds old-fashioned they got a sandwich counter they got a salad bar <laughs> i mean it's food they they've have got hot a food place <laughs> what should i be saying that would impress you because me saying they had salisbury steak didn't get a blip a sushi spread they have sushi on thursdays oh <laughs> There's some of that on Thursdays that makes it sound dated. Like, ooh, every Thursday we bring in food from the Far East. <laughs> oh, have, where like, the forks? Make... Oh, on Thursdays we have <laughs> chopsticks. Oh, my gosh. You know, they have, I mean, they have Mexican sometimes there. They have Italian sometimes <laughs> there. Some, some of their best meals are Mexican meals. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I stand corrected. That that's a diverse menu. No, you're right. It's perfectly normal that an episode about Salisbury steak <laughs> we talk about no, on it the is a same day that Salisbury. You know how you always see Salisbury steak everywhere, constantly, especially in my office. Is no, <laughs> even though I just told you what that I was they saying. don't have it there always. No, I'm wrong. But my impression was that Salisbury steak is common in your office. Like, you would throw a rock and hit a Salisbury steak, I thought, but I'm wrong. How about you do the impression first? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) These Salisbury steaks look 
disgusting and enormous. They're really bad. They're really bad. They're very big. They must hamburgers. be like two pounds of meat each. And I'll tell you what, John. Between this, this scene is in the kitchen. <laughs> this scene is twenty minutes long. Later, we see these Salisbury steaks in the living dining room right. area, and those steaks are not the same steaks as these steaks. Oh, really? And those steaks are even bigger. Those are the only ones I noticed because I couldn't see these that well. These, yeah, these are just like these just look like f- wide. You couldn't see the depth. You couldn't see the thickness in these. I'm gonna go ahead and say that these are about two inches thick, and maybe. <laughs> Would you hold a ruler up to the TV? And maybe five, six. Let's see, Paul Reiser. Okay, he's about five eight, five nine. Okay, <laughs> so let's see. Okay, he's eight inches on the screen. Okay, so uh, the to eight, five eight. Okay, and then okay, the steak. <laughs> Don't you remember the scene where Paul holds a quarter up next to the Salisbury steak for scale? (laughs) So they are trying to determine what to do with Uncle Van's ashes. And they move from the kitchen into the living room. And they kind of do this dance as they discuss what to do with his ashes by... Jamie wants the ashes to be on the the table itself. She wants to eat with Uncle Van. Yes. And she made Salisbury steak because it was his favorite dish. Yes. And oh, and Paul, Paul has does... that very funny joke where he's like, this is so typical. Your family comes for it. They come for a night and they stay for a week. Yeah. That's a really <laughs> funny bit. But they also move. Yeah. So Paul takes Uncle Van's urn from the table and moves it to the coffee table several times during this scene. Yeah. And then Uncle Van gets moved back it... and forth. She moves it back yes. to the kitchen he, table. He moves it back to the living room table yeah every now and again paul will say something about it and it happens like seven times or yeah. something like it happens it happens so many yeah. times that i stop noticing and then i re-notice and it still happened yeah. a bunch more times yeah this is the long scene that we were talking about yeah, before, yeah, yeah. which i'm sure took a lot to choreograph and and execute and it's just unfortunate that so little happens in it what happens here are the things that happen they're trying to determine what to do with the ashes. And Paul suggests, should we scatter his ashes in the Hudson? She doesn't want to do that because the Hudson is filthy. Paul points out, hey, he is ashes, so... Yeah, Paul's just insensitive at every suggestion again. Yeah, and as they're doing this, Paul is trying to turn his Salisbury steak into a hamburger proper. Right, because he was promised burgers. Right. Oh, also, I love the way the scene starts, which we didn't talk about, because it's so believable, but it's also so meaningless. He Which walks part? into the kitchen and she goes, yeah. how was it? And he was like, good. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's it. But here's what here's And he's what wearing I'll glasses, say. so he was working. I was going to say he was working. It was a yeah, meeting. he's got his glasses it's on. It's unbelievable. He's, he was shooting something because he's got his glasses Yeah, it on. was very efficient. It was very passive and efi- I loved it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I like that moment as well. Because it's such generic BS. Right. But with the outfit, it means everything. Yep, I agree. Well, it means everything and it means nothing because that's not the important part. Right. So you can just get away with saying, how was it? No, it is one of the most compelling. Right, right. That's true. So, so yeah, he was promised burgers, so he's constantly trying to turn the steak into a burger. Yeah, do we have any buns? How about ketchup? Do we have any cheese? He takes a knife and cuts the edge of this rectangle of Salisbury steak. Yeah, guys, this thing is like the size of a dinner plate and then like three inches thick pretty gross it's and it just looks like a solid monochrome <laughs> blob yeah. of meats it's disgusting yeah, yeah it's pretty bad oh uh, and also like 
I'm pretty sure she was cooking it. She was early in the cooking process when they were in the kitchen, right? Oh, Russ, you got to get that Salisbury steak medium rare, baby. I got, I, well, then you got to put, you got to keep on cooking it, my friend. <laughs> you got to keep it, even to get medium rare, that thing is still mooing. <laughs> so, yeah, Jamie points out again, forever doesn't mean until you die. Forever means forever. What do you think? I think, so till death, the, the, it, because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this. <sighs> the vow is not, I will love you forever. It's till death do us part. True. And it's even in the title. Yes. So, yeah, Paul could have just looked at her and said, we're not talking about forever. <laughs> the name of this episode is till death do us part. There's another. Oh, this was talked about on Mad About You. There was that episode where Paul Buckman dies mm-hmm. and it's a different Paul Buckman. Yep. Mac Jackson is like screaming at his <laughs> iPod now going, thank yes, you. thank you. It took you an hour, you idiots. <laughs> I said it. Yeah. You're the idiot. <laughs> you couldn't place it. I placed it. What you said was meaningless. I could say that every two <laughs> seconds. It means nothing. I need evidence. You need evidence, <laughs> baby. I need evidence, baby. That's from a Mad About You episode, right? <laughs> exactly. We'll find out. And when we do, I will have called it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, so eventually but, he takes the top off while she's in the kitchen. Of the urn. Yes. Because he wanted he wanted to sneak a peek, sort of. He's, he's been curious about looking in it. Yes. Oh, because he has that great line about it. He's like, it's crazy. A 230-pound man. Yeah. Don't you want to know what's Fits going his- on? Yeah, it fits in here. And so he takes the lid off of the urn and a piece of Salisbury steak drops into the urn. And he panics a little bit. She comes out. She says, were you looking in there? He says, no, no, not at all. So he covers I whatever. was so stressed out because I was like, oh, now you've ruined the ashes and lied to your wife. Yeah, I'm. Ugh, it was weird. You're going to do double time. And he gets away with both. He does. It uh, it's not an issue. He's a pretty cool guy. He's a, what a what a cool dude. Oh, she says she has a line. Oh, he asked for cheese for the burger. Right, and she goes cheese for the man who calls my uncle the dead guy. Yeah, that's which as to close me as felt we like get. a Paul speech pattern. That's true. Yeah, a little bit. Like she's speaking like him. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I don't think they speak that way in Connecticut. <laughs> I I think you're right. <laughs> so Paul sees a picture on the table and he pretends to remember right what he saw in the picture. Like he pretends to remember it from a story. Yeah, the Jamie from, told him. Yes, because the picture is of Uncle Van and Jamie and Lisa at the racetrack. So yeah, he kind of gilds the lily and shares too many weird details about barrettes in her hair. And she knows that he's got a picture and then she's touched by the picture. Paul recommends, why don't we take Uncle Van to the racetrack? Which is a good move. Good yeah. good wreck. Yeah, we can. They want to scatter the ashes. At the winner's circle. At yeah. a winner's circle. At a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you for keeping me honest. At a winner's circle. Jamie shares that he loved the racetrack. He'd always yell, tell me it's true, baby. Tell me it's true. What a weird thing to say. What a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, is that something you say after the race is over and your horse has won? I've... Is it I've, like, pinch me? I don't... I don't know. Otherwise, don't it doesn't make so. any sense. I think it's as a thing is happening. As the horses are running, he's yelling, tell me it's true? Yes. I'll tell you why I think that way later in the episode. Okay. Oh, you mean because of what they do? Yep. (laughs) Well, 
Okay, sure. I'm just saying <laughs> that doesn't make sense then either. <laughs> no. Well, we could talk about that then. It's a crazy right thing now, to say. At it's a, race. a weird thing to say. She wants me to call Ira. Yes. And in my head, it was just because Ira would know how to make that happen. But apparently right. he also knows a guy who owns a horse. Right. Yeah. He's got connections over at the track. He knows somebody who could. Which I guess is the same thing as what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Ira's the only one who would know a guy. Yes. In their circle, for sure. Murray brings the urn of tennis ball, which is very funny. Oh, this is another weird, great moment that's so realistic. Which one? So Murray brings Van the ball. Right. We figure out that it's because there's meat right. in the urn. Jamie right. thinks it's because he knows it's Uncle Van. Right. Paul thinks it's just meaningless because that's what he's been thinking the whole time. Then he realizes it's because of the meat, and he gets so excited by the discovery, he almost right. tells Jamie... And then yes. has to stop himself. Yes. But that moment of discovery is so realistic. Because I yeah, felt of, it. Of him just saying, oh, no, I know why. Yeah, it's because yeah, uh, he... Right. Oh, no, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, the, it's him. Yeah. <laughs> like the joy of putting something together in your yeah, head. Yeah, it's, it's well executed for sure. Yeah, what else did he say? Oh, in that whole mix, Paul says he's a dog. Last week he brought my socks to the toaster. He don't care. Yeah. I love it when that happens every now and again when he goes really when Paul goes really hard into New York dialect. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. When he slips in with he don't care. He don't care. He don't care. So we come back from commercial and Paul and Ira are in a, a room with a lot of chairs set up. I assumed we were at the track, but everything about the set seemed strange. Yes. But it felt like the next logical place for the show to go. Sure, yes. He is talking to Ira about his plan and trying to get Ira to sign off on it. And Ira says, Ira says he doesn't go to the track anymore. And Ira, Ira wants to know how he can be of service in this. Ira says, what am I supposed to do? Say, next time one of your horses wins, my friend would like to bury their uncle in, your, in the winner's circle. That's a funny bit. And then it is revealed that the place we are is a Gambler's Anonymous meeting. It's quite a reveal. It's a funny reveal. And the guy running it is actor Dana Lee. Okay, yeah. Who has been, he was Mr. Takahashi in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay. He was, well, I know him from something very specific. One of my favorite movies, <laughs> Lethal Weapon that? 4. <laughs> oh my gosh. <gasps> yeah. He's the he's the Chinese he's dad the that they dude. discover in the Oh my goodness. In the ship. I love that four is one of your favorite movies. It's so good. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a little ridiculous. dated now. I showed my girlfriend a, a scene the other night yeah. that I had referenced, and we watched the scene. <laughs> oh, and her jaw did, was on the floor at times. And so did, was one mine. Of the, did one of the lethal weapon movies not age well? <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Here's the thing, though. Because they're comp it, the component parts of Lethal Weapon have aged very well. <laughs> Mel Gibson is as well regarded and beloved as ever. Uh, what did Danny Glover do wrong? Oh, nothing. That guy's great. <laughs> he has an ad on CNN now about losing your memory. Does he really? I think it's yeah. I think it's losing your memory. It has to do with him memorizing lines. Uh -huh. It's very depressing. It's about a pharmaceutical. It's a very depressing ad. Does he have to read a whole bunch of side effects? <laughs> I don't remember. I've only seen it once. And maybe <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember. You need that. Drug? Yeah, I need that drug. <laughs> <laughs> 
This guy was also in a musical called Manhattan Minutia. I have never heard of that. That came show. out last year. A rock and roll rom com centered on an eclectic group of Greenwich Village East residents. Greenwich Village East? Who wrote this? <laughs> East Village residents? Led by the intellectual slacker Dex and the passionate bohemian rock star in the making, Max. The, their grunge, chic New York group's divergent backgrounds and views served to highlight how the pursuit of love in all its forms and manifestations remains the driving force behind our lives, regardless of age, race, culture, religion, or sexual orientation. Russ, I'm not done. The journey <sighs> is punctuated by an original pulsating soundtrack and live band performances by their all-girl group, Max Tit. And it's faithful lesbian following. <laughs> Damn it, John. You know what this means. Yeah, I've never wanted to watch a bad sounding movie more. We have to find more. this thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What is this? It's good to have a quest. Oh, I'm putting Feels this on good, my watch it? list. <laughs> so we cut to the track. And the rest of the episode takes place in and around the racetrack proper. Yeah, this is where Guys and Dolls starts. Yes. They're channeling it real hard. Yeah. Speaking of Guys and Dolls, we meet Maurice, who is is, uh, Ira's contact, and he is played by Mr. Ernie Sabella. He sure is. One of my favorite character actors. Second to Richard Kind. Yeah. Since I was a little kid. We know him from... What's your favorite Ernie Sabella? Well, here's a clip. Uh, this holy guy, he's a big horse guy. Oh, yeah, he's the biggest. Because I don't let just anyone in my box. Hey, Maurice. You all know that voice. Pumba? That was Pumba. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I'm i assuming that was Pumba. Yeah. If if you're asking for the name from The Lion King, it's Pumba. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pumba. What do I know him from? Yeah. My first reference was Mr. Karosi on Saved by the Bell. Yep. Absolutely. A character we have talked about on this show before, I think. I'm sure we have. Even though Ernie Sabella has not appeared on the show before. No. Oh, no, no, no. We've probably spoken about Mr. Karosi three or four times yeah, before we Ernie Sabella yeah. showed up. I don't know why. And I saw him play Amos on Broadway in Chicago. Oh, really? Uh-huh. That's fun. I saw him in D.C. playing Sancho Panza. In oh, in Man of La Mancha? In, in Man of La Mancha in a production that eventually went to Broadway. With Brian Stokes Mitchell? Yes. Oh, that must have been great. It was very good. I remember that performance very, very at the Tonys. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was very, very good. Oh, it's my favorite show. Man of La Mancha? Yep. It was and has been for a very long time. It's one of those things where, like, growing up, I was just like, I love this show. This is my favorite show. We did it when I was a junior in high school. And then I kind of, you get stuck in that thought process oh, yeah, or yeah, that yeah. mindset. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, well, it was my favorite show in 1999. And no shows have happened since then. So it's my favorite show. Yeah, I get that. I like Jekyll and Hyde for way too long because of that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Ernie Sabella is great. So good. I think his son played Mary Sunshine. In what? In that production of Chicago that I saw. Oh, really? Is that possible? Anything's possible. I forget his name, but I feel like I remember. Because Mary Sunshine's played by a man in drag. Okay. I'm. Have I you never seen Chicago? Seen, I saw the movie. I haven't seen it in a while. Russ, and I've forgotten. The you gotta go. I've never seen. I've never seen it on Broadway. Yeah. You gotta go. It's running. I know. Candy Burris from Real Housewives of Atlanta is in it right now. Bingo. Oh, that's right. Yeah, D. Sabella. I assume it's his son. Probably. David. 
Oh, and that's the only show he did on Broadway. Really? Yeah. I wonder if he's an actor. Or he must be. He was. He performed. Wait, was, has he not been in Guys and Dolls? I feel like he was born to play nicely, nicely. Professional drunk. singing voice instruction in New York and online. Oh, wait. So David Sabella is a vocal okay. coach. Talking about David. Okay. And he looks like him enough that I feel like it's his son. I believe it. Isn't that sweet that I saw that? I love it. You're asking if Ernie was in Guys and Dolls? Yes. I'll tell you. I'm 99% sure. He sure was in 1992. Yeah. Did you yeah. go? I did not, but that was the Nathan Lane revival. Oh, uh, wait. And then they teamed up in The Lion King. Yep. Do you think that that's how they got them. cast? Yeah. I'd be surprised if they didn't, if that wasn't what happened. I agree. Yeah. Peter Gallagher was in that production? Sky Masterson, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, Harry the Horse. J.K. Simmons was also in it. Who? J.K. Simmons. Weird. Yeah, he played Rusty Charlie. He's uh, in Fugue for Tin Horns. Oh, uh, like He's got 20 years voice. before he gets huge. Yeah. Harry the Horse is, I think, my favorite part. It's a good one. I mean, he's played by the fat guy in the movie, right? Maybe? I haven't seen the movie in a while. I long don't really know time. any of their names. Anyway, this... Anyway. This track part is just very... They're all playing guys and dollsy kind of like gambling archetypes. Like yes. 50s New York kind of... Yeah. Which is my Let's favorite. Hear, yeah, we're going to hear from one of them right now. It's like when Kramer goes... Actually, when Kramer goes to the track, it's seedier than this. This is a little more innocent and sweet. Yeah, this is a fun cartoon. Because Kramer gets sort of jumped <laughs> on the subway. <laughs> yeah, so Paul's meeting all sorts of old people at the track, and one guy warns him about Tommy. You know, that three horse will never take the trip. You tell Tommy? Right now. <laughs> Who is Tommy? <laughs> that was amazing. Very fun. Very, very fun. I love this. That scene is why I love New York. Yeah. Because that could, I can see that happening to any of us. Yeah. Something sure. like that, you know? Yeah. But I, I like Paul getting very, because Paul gets very into it. Yes, of course, because he wants to feel like one up. of the guys. Yeah. So Jimmy and Paul don't want Ira to be tempted to bet. Right. And Ira and Paul have a very funny little exchange where they say, Ira says, I'm cured, I swear. Paul says, give me your wallet. Ira says, I won't bet, I swear. Paul says, for how much? Ira says, 10 bucks. <laughs> Then Lisa shows up. She has purchased a secretariat barometer. That is, which is hilarious. Hilarious and ridiculous and made even better by her saying, I really needed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barometers measure pressure? Yes. How do we feel the pressure? What do you mean? Like if it's a high reading, what does that translate to in like my feeling outside? Low pressure systems indicate... Oh, like whether it's going to rain or not? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of interesting... So it starts with a storm. Mm -hmm. Here we discuss barometric pressure. Oh, there you go. How about that? I thought this was going to become a ghost tale. Oh, and I guess it does. It does. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Secretariat, of course, the first horse to horse. win uh, the Triple Crown after like 70, a 75-year... I think that's right. Dearth. Something like that. I'm not sure Dearth? about the specifics about what Secretariat did. Well, I Googled it earlier. I just called him the first horse. I feel fine about doing that. The first horse? Yeah. There were like the first lady? Horses. Yeah. <laughs> Secretariat's a good reference. Yes. I love a good animal reference. Like in the old days, it was Trigger. Yeah, okay. Like, I'll go with that. I love Lucy reference Trigger all the time. Sure. And now it's yeah. Secretariat. Now it's a, this Secretariat picks up where Trigger left yeah, off. Yeah, that's right. And Ernie meets the gang, and he's here to talk about his horse. So uh, who are we rooting for today? The first race, I own the six horse. Six horse. 
Six hooks. The name would be About to be Glue. <laughs> about to be Glue. Yeah, that's not a good sign. Oh, yeah. I don't. You don't like this? Are you talking about About to be Glue? Yeah. It just reminds me of that old Seinfeld joke, which I prefer about glue stick. I don't think when I know he went it. to ride horses and they got this little when they saw Jerry and they were like, Hey, hey, is glue stick around? <laughs> that's that's the horse we'll have him ride. <laughs> I don't know that part, but I remember about I remember let's go about to be glue. I remember that from the original run. Like that's one of the Oh yeah. wow. So I've spent many years thinking that about to be glue is a very funny name for a Oh, horse. this is a big thing for you. This is a big joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm happy for you. Oh, yeah, we made it. About to be glue is a long shot and Uncle Van loved long shots. So here we go. And We're that's gonna... where the TV guide writer got his cue. There you go. So Paul and Ernie Sabella sit down to have a conversation because Ernie Sabella wants Paul's input. Which is expressed in this other weird guys and dollsy kind of terminology. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, it happens early on. Ernie Sabella to Ira is like, oh, he's willing to sit with me? Yes. And I was like, yeah, he'll sit with you. And then here it's he's like, hey, I hear you willing to sit with me? <laughs> yeah. And sit and with, Paul's I guess, like, means advise? Yeah. I thought something it meant like, like they want to match my bet or something. Oh no! But yeah, I, I it's think just a sit down. I, just a sit down. Who just is a it? Conversation. Oh, because yeah. it's hot. It's hot. Ira told him Paul's like a horse expert. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But isn't this his yeah. horse? Yes. That it was confusing too. Yeah. I was like, why are you betting against your horse? Yeah, and he's desperate for it. Right. He's. Uh, you you got to tell me, you stranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me whether my horse is gonna win this race I mean, or not. Everyone loves a hot tip. Sure. Yeah, Paul's got the when when Ernie Sabella asks him to sit with him, he says, "Sure, we can sit." When the girls get back, we can sit back there. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know what's going on. A lot of those. And, uh, yeah. Here's a little bit of their discussion. Ira says you can sit with me. Yeah. Well, whatever. When he gets back here, I'll sit back with Jamie. Whatever. <laughs> what do you think of my horse? Well, I'll tell you this. He's naked. You telling me what? Saying he's got nothing on him but a small guy with a hat. You don't like my jockey? I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. You don't want to say anything? You don't want to say anything. No, I don't know anything. Come on. Tell me. Where'd you hear it? Ask Tommy. You talk to Tommy? I don't even know who Tommy is. Oh, I hear that. He hasn't been writing weeks. Come on. Tell me what you know. Well, I'll tell you this. You can't get hamburger from Salisbury steak. You can't get hamburger from Salisbury steak. That is so, so, that sounds like such fake, real racing advice. Yeah, it's very smart. Have you ever been to the track? Yeah, once or twice. Didn't take. Oh, it's, I, not for me. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. I went to Santa Anita. Oh, nice. Where David Milch lost all of his money. Sure. The guy who wrote Deadwood. And I bet with my friends and we yeah. and it was a long shot kind of yeah or like he was started in the back and he made it to the front yep. by the end and he won mm-hmm. and then i realized i'd placed the bet for a race in florida oh, but God. i got the number right <laughs> so i did pick the winner <laughs> but not officially so that's how you have fun this is <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh that was that was rough 
<laughs> yeah, I could see where it would be. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But it was fun. It's so nice. They, like everything they say in the episode, the fresh yeah. air, the animals, the snacks. I love how it's fun. Yeah, he says there's great food, and it's like there's a neon yeah, sign that says, says hot, hot dog. dogs. It's also just fun to watch horses race and to and to shout. Like you really sure. get into it. Yeah, I believe it. If I went back under the right circumstances, I'm sure that I would have a great time. You should just see me up there going, tell me it's true. Tell me it's <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, like everybody says, <laughs> just row after row of people yelling, tell me it's true, baby. Tell me it's true. <laughs> tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. <laughs> so Jamie goes to place a bet and Ira goes to use the bathroom but he is really going to bet. And Lisa goes to get food with Uncle Van. And she says, we're probably going to split something. Oh, Anne Ramsey is really good at delivering lines. I think she's uh, so funny. Yeah, she sure is. Jamie is very good at delivering bets. Here we go. Give me a $5 wheel on the six horse front and back and give me a six, three, one box. Give me a $30 baseball, one, three, six. Also on the six, let me have $10 across the board. Slap me. Okay. Give me 20 to win, 20 to place, and 20 to show. Come on! Oh, boy, she can talk the talk, Yeah, huh? she must have got. She paid attention when she went with Uncle Van. Yeah, she did. So Paul says... Uh, Paul, we go back to the sit-down. Yeah. Between Paul and Ernie Sabella. Maurice. Maurice. And Paul is saying, I've been to the track once my whole life. And Ernie says, just like me, one long day that lasts forever. Classic mix-up. He's so fun. Like, Ernie Sabella is just such a stage actor, such a brother yes. actor. And he, ne yeah, so everything comes through and everything is big and yes. everything is hammy and he's completely non-realistic. And everything is fast. Yes. Like, there's a rhythm to every scene with him in this episode. I love him so Me much. Me too. There's something so comforting about this yes, guy. Yes, comforting. Ugh. Couldn't agree more. I'm this close to buying a photo of him on the wall. No, yeah. buying a photo of him and hanging it on the wall. Because I have Richard Kind autographed. And an I autographed Ernie Sabella might be the perfect. It's the per Put him on a Jason Walls. Yeah. One corner. Right. They could have a dialogue. Perfect. Oh, please do that. I'll chip in. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> There's a great little joke here where Ernie Sabella says, you make a quinella. And Paul says, wasn't me, babe. That's a fun fart joke. Uh, wait, what's a quinella? It's a bet. How'd I you looked know it that? up. It's, I looked it up. Oh, it's, I see. It's a sort of, yeah, it's, it's a, a way funny. to win. That's it, very funny. I think, I'm not positive, but I think a quinella is if you predict the, if you, if you bet on the first and second place uh, people, okay. uh, horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the correct order. Right. I think that's called a quinella. That's great. And yeah. You making quinella? Wasn't me, babe. <laughs> it's also very fun. To, like this is such a New Yorky. Yeah. Everyone has the sound. Everyone has the like the language between yeah. Ira, Maurice, and Paul. It's like heaven. Yes, I'm on board. If you started watching this episode not believing in afterlife, by the end of it, you will Strap in. because this is proof of heaven. Because this is heaven. <laughs> so Lisa wants to split the hot dog with Van and she opens the lid <laughs> and says, I can't believe you already ate. <laughs> I mean, it's very silly. I was a little annoyed. I wasn't annoyed. I was like, I can't believe I was shocked. I was like, I can't believe you did that earlier. Partly just for this joke. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. It's a solid joke. It is. It's great. It's great. Ira heads to the ATM to withdraw cash so that he can bet. He responds to the ATM giving him cash as though it was a slot machine. Yeah, right. He takes the money out and he kisses it. Like He's like, come on, baby. Come on. Oh, uh, and he's like, this is weird. But yeah, so then he goes over to make the bet. And the employee at the track is Mr. Lethal Weapon for himself. Yeah, gambling from, anonymous guy. Yeah. So he decides not to place that bet. Which is a trick I know a lot of gambling addicts do. What's that? Well, if you work at a casino, you're not allowed to gamble. Really? At least there. I mean, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So I've heard of this happening. Wow. That's wild. Huh. (laughs) We cut back to the box and we overhear two gamblers having the following exchange. One of them says, you hear about Salisbury steak? Other guy says, where'd you hear that? Tommy? First guy says... Nah, Tommy's out. There's a new guy. Yeah, Paul worked his way in. I love that. That's so funny. They're all just like little cartoon characters. They are. It's a very ridiculous episode. Lisa, we learn, all of a sudden, left Uncle Van somewhere. Yeah, she lost Uncle Van. Yeah, she leaves the seats to go find Uncle Van. He might be with Ira. Not sure. Lost them. So she leaves, and the race starts. And Lisa tries to get everybody's attention by pulling the plug on the TV. Everybody gets mad. And then we get the race itself. The last bunch of minutes. Or the last... Well, we get the end of the race. Coming on! That Balcony Blue is running a huge one out here! Three horses across the Tell me it's true, baby. Tell me it's true! What? Nothing. What did you hear? What did you hear? I didn't hear anything. All right, let's go to the winner's circle. Yeah. Okay. Right. How did you not hear that? Aha! All right. Lost leg. That's it. There we go. I really... I appreciate the cuteness and coziness of it, but I really don't like when the show does this. Yeah, me neither. I really don't. There's no reason for this. It's weird. It's a weird, it, like, it's weird to do it in general. It's weird to do it with a weird line. <laughs> right. Right. That makes it extra weird. Yeah, it does. If we liked what he was saying, we might be like, oh, wow. I don't think we do that. We might not do that, but at least we wouldn't go, oh, I can't believe we have to hear this stupid ghost <laughs> say this stupid thing. <laughs> I wonder whose voice that was. That's a good question. I don't know. What what was Larry David? (laughs) Larry David did all those voices on Seinfeld. Uh, And all of a sudden we just hear him. Tell me it's true. (laughs) That's what he would do. (laughs) Oh, man. So that's how the episode proper wraps up. Well, also, though, Paul and Jamie, they just won. A, mm-hmm. a ton of money. B, they get yeah. to bury or spread the ashes the way they want. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be less excited. No. They're like... They just heard a ghost. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So not only is it a weird move, it also undercuts the like excitement of the yes. moment. Yeah. You know what, though? You're, you're doubly right because they did just hear a ghost. But as we heard, they're like, did you hear that? Hear what? No, I didn't hear that. And then he says, I can't believe you didn't hear that. And Jamie's just like, aha. Right. So it's just like, so you did yeah. hear the so ghost you of my dead uncle. Ghost. Yeah. And then it's no, like, I knew it. Come on, okay. let's go to the winner's circle. 
They should be freaking yeah, out. Yeah, they should be double freaked out. <laughs> oh, but they're not. And that's how this episode ends. And then we get a tag where we learn that Ira didn't bet. He says, how stupid am I? Maurice says, I had a thousand bucks on him and I uh, and your cousin talked me off the horse. Ira says, how stupid are you? We didn't need that bit in the tag. No, but I sure love hearing their voices. Absolutely. And then we give a close up and we see the urn in the winner's circle trophy case. Yep. Or rather, a winner's circle trophy case. <laughs> and then we get the most appropriate in front horse. Yes, you're right. Thing. Yeah. yeah. In front. So, uh, yeah, there we go. That's the end of this episode. I won't miss it. It was, <laughs> there were fun moments. This is a, the textbook definition of a fine episode. The second half is very fun, but yeah, it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Not the most memorable. No. I'm excited to see what happens next week for episode 50. It, is that a special what, episode? I don't think so. <laughs> it's special for us, John. 50 episodes of our podcast. That's true. The 50th anniversary. <laughs> y- yeah. <laughs> no, I guess not. Oh, fittingly, the 50th episode is called One on 64. That is fitting. I can't think of another number that would be more fitting <laughs> than if it was no- episode 50. This is great. Oh, man. I'm we looking did forward it. to it. We did it. Woo. We're back, anything baby. You want to plug? What'd you say? I asked if there was anything you want to plug. Oh, um, no. Okay. Yeah. I similarly don't think I have anything I want to plug. I mean, Public Pool does a show every Tuesday at the Magnet Theater. You should come on out. Check us out. We make up, we improvise musicals, and it's a lot of fun. And what else is going on? Well, we should plug well, the podcast. Yeah, I was just going to say, you yeah. should find us. First of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for everybody. listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are wonderful. We ask you to be wonderful in a more easily counted venue. In a quantifiable manner? That's it, quantifiable. <laughs> so uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. It's so fun to do. 50 by 50. 50 reviews by the time we get 50 reviews. And right now, as and, I see uh, it, we're totally on track. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, and yeah, you can, uh, uh, you can find tell us. Your, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can tweet at us, uh, at madaboutyoupod. Facebook us, mm-hmm. at madaboutyoupod. You can email us, madaboutyoupod at gmail.com. We're also on Stitcher and TuneIn and everywhere podcasts are found. Also, you know, tell your friends, spread the word, help us get the word out about the podcast. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, great. We've got a theme song. It goes like this. This was written by John D. Ivy. Thank you so much, John. Our logo is by Mr. Nathan Diffie. Find him on Twitter at Nathan D-I-F-F-E-E. And thank you very much, Nathan. Our sound was mixed by Mr. Vuk Ivanovich. Thank you, Vuk. And that's it for this week. Next week, number 50. Now, week after next, Russ. Week after next. Yeah, that's right. I realized it as right immediately as I said it. Two weeks to number 50. Next week, maybe something else. Maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, we'll have to do a mini-sode one of these weeks. Yeah. We can't wait to bring that to you. And we can't wait to speak to you all again. Thank you so much for listening. We are so happy to have you. So uh, please tune in again, won't you? John is oh, winking right. at me. It's really weird. My name is Russ And Vader. I'm Zach Marbley. And, and this is what we're saying. This is what we're saying. saying. <laughs>